Steve Weins is over at Church of Open Door. They're kind of a sister church with us as staff. We appreciate them so much. And Steve really has something powerful to share with you today. So give a Woodland Hills welcome to Steve. Thank you. Yeah. Well, greetings, everyone. I bring you greetings from Church of the Open Door in Maple Grove, which is about 100 miles northwest, not that far. Uh, but it, it really, I am so excited to be here at Woodland Hills. Uh, for years and years, Woodland has been a kind of home away from home for me. I dial into the podcasts all the time. And uh, in 94, I think, or 95 was my first time at Woodland Hills. And it was at, at, at Battle Creek Middle School. Anyone back from those days, Battle Creek days? Uh, this was maybe before Norm even. I mean, this was a long time ago. Maybe not. Uh, but when I, when I got there... I recognized some things immediately. The first thing I recognized was that the ushers wore khaki pants and red shirts, so I thought I was in Target, um, which was awesome and amazing. Uh, the second thing I noticed, though, was the, it was more of a feeling, the electricity that was in the room, just walking in the room, was like, okay, something is going down at this place. And the more and more uh, I stayed and worshipped, and then... When it came time for the speaker to come out, you know, he, this was back in the day when Greg used to play drums, and uh, so he crawled out from back behind the, the, the drums back there, sweating, and I think he still had his sticks in his back pocket, most likely, uh, and then he delivered the first of what was going to be hundreds of talks that I would, in the course of the last 20 years, have heard from Greg, and so Woodland is just a place that's near and dear to my heart, so to be here and be with you all is uh, uh, just a blessing to me, so... Yay. Good to be here. Um, I'm titling this talk, Considering the Even More, and that's going to become obvious why I've done that. And if it doesn't become obvious, then I'll never get invited back again, and it'll be a big tragedy, and so no big deal. But that's what I've titled the talk. Before I dive into it, I would love to pray with you all. Would you pray with me? So God, we know you're here. Here you are, and here we are. And all the states of being that we are, broken, desperate, um, maybe some of us having barely made it here, uh, in situations in our lives that feel like if something doesn't change, uh, we're going to be done. So God, into our desperation and into our brokenness, please come. We don't need a pep talk. We don't need uh, a time of singing. We need a time where you meet us here with your manifest presence. So Holy Spirit, we give you access to our minds, to our hearts. We ask you to open us up to you, even if we haven't been in a church for a long, long time. We pray that we would meet you here. In your name, amen. All right, the text I'm going to bring you to is Matthew chapter 1. And this is a text that's normally only uh, studied during the month of December because it's an Advent text. And here we are in January. So please forgive me for doing an Advent text in January, but I think there are some uh, really uh, sweet invitations for us if we can read it and look at it outside of the context of Advent. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 is where we'll start. And uh, here's how it goes. This is how the birth of Jesus... The Messiah came about. His mother Mary was, in, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But 
before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now we read that verse and we know the rest of the story. We know how it turns out. And we've heard of this notion that someone might be impregnated through the Holy Spirit and the baby Jesus might be born. And so we just read that verse and it's like, yawn, mm, beautiful. What's the next verse say? And we forget that the people that Joseph and Mary and their friends, when they experienced it for the first time, they were experiencing it in real time, you guys. That they didn't know the rest of the story. And so uh, when Joseph was told, hey, your fiance, uh, she's pregnant. Hey, it's through the Holy Spirit, so no big deal. Uh, he didn't have a frame of reference for that at all. So in between their registering at Target and Bed Bath and & Beyond and you know, having their engagement parties, at some point, Mary had to tell Joseph this piece of news that she had gotten from an angel. <laughs> you notice the date stamp up there? It's eight months BC, 1047 AM. It's an obscure Dead Sea Scroll. Uh, no. So at some point, Mary had to tell Joseph this piece of news. And again, real time, even if Joseph had been praying for the Messiah to come, Joseph did not have it in his theological framework that this Messiah would come through the impregnation of the Holy Spirit. That was not part of his understanding of how this would come. And so I'm very convinced that when he was told this piece of news, this is how he heard it. <laughs> right? Blah, 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 blah. I'm pregnant. He was a guy. And if you remember in the verse that we read just a couple minutes ago, it was very explicit in that verse to say that it was before they came together. Now, before they came together is, you know what that means, right? That's a church way of saying, you know. So he knew this baby wasn't his. And the idea of this baby coming through the impregnation of the Holy Spirit was something completely foreign and crazy and uh, way outside of what he would normally believe. And so here you have this carpenter who's in love with this young woman and has had dreams of a life together that they will share. And in one moment, those dreams are shattered. In real time, I think what he saw in this moment was despair. Have you ever gotten a bomb like that dropped on you from a loved one? Where, I mean, out of the blue, your future is out in front of you, it's looking rosy, and then you get a phone call, or it starts with, hey, we got to talk, and boom. I'm not in love with you anymore. I found someone else. I'm pregnant. Or maybe you're a parent and when your kids come up to you and says, Mom, Dad, um, I want to talk to you about my sexual orientation. And it's like, boom. 
And in a moment, your future changes, doesn't it? So what do you do in that moment? What do you see in that moment? Well, here's what Joseph saw. Here's what Joseph did. In Matthew 1.19, we read this, because Joseph, her husband, and back in the day when you were engaged, that was when you were considered married, even before the ceremony was taking place. So that's why some of that language is her husband, even though they were engaged. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So I think Joseph loved her. That's why we read that he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He didn't want to shame her, even though when he was sitting around with his friends, they were probably telling him, you better make this public so this is not on you. I mean, you're liable to look really bad here. So make it public. Disgrace her. He didn't want to do that. So I think he really did love her. But question, what did Joseph see in this situation? What did Joseph do? I think among a lot of things is he saw limited options. Option number one, stay with Mary and suffer as someone who's been shamed and someone who's now going to have to raise a child that's not his. Stay and suffer. And when you pick that option, some of us pick that option, I'm going to stay and I'm going to suffer, but you're going to suffer too. You know that option? You're going to pay for this the rest of your life. Just so you know, just so we're clear, you're paying for this thing. I'm staying because I am a magnanimous person. Now, the other option is to bail and be free. I'm done. I'm out. I'm done. I'm gone. And you know, most of us have chosen both of those options at one time or another, haven't we? I'm done. Or I'm here, but we're both going to pay. But we read in the story that Joseph does this quite extraordinary thing and it's found in Matthew 1, verses 20 and 21, and it's really one word up there that shines out at me like a beacon, and it's the word considered. But after he considered this course of action to divorce her quietly, which means he pressed the pause button, he said, you know what, I'm not going to... I'm not going to react right now. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands in this moment where I feel so upset. I'm not going to take the, the option of staying in suffering or bailing in freedom. I'm going to consider it. He presses pause. And then an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream, which, I mean, okay. Again, real time, you're sleeping, and the angel of the Lord appears to you and says, interesting, we're going to get back to this, but the first thing he says to Joseph is his name. Now, I'm pretty sure Joseph remembered his name. Kind of unnecessary. Joseph, son of David. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will give birth to a son. And Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. Joseph pressed pause in this incredibly difficult situation in his life where probably lots of people were telling him either to stay and suffer or bail and be free. 
And he said, you know what? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to wait. So into your situation, dial up the face in your mind of the person that you're struggling with or the event that you're struggling with. Perhaps it's an illness or pain that you didn't ask for, but here it is. It's a piece of news that came to you from a loved one that you didn't want, but here it is, and it's sitting in your lap like a grenade. Here are some questions that are, I think, helpful to ask when you're in this kind of a situation. Question number one, what can't I see? Question number two, what don't I know? And question number three, where might God be in this to which you might say, in this? This is a grenade in my lap that's about to explode. Where is God in this? Well, back up. What, what, what can't I see? See, when we're on Mary's side of the equation having to say the news, we're hoping so desperately that they'll be able to see more than just this much, aren't we? We're saying, please, God, if they will just open their eyes up to, uh, uh, enough to see the big picture here. But when we're on Joseph's side, it's like, hey, I can see everything. I can see it clearly. I'm fine. I know what to do. What don't I know? That's a really humble question to ask. In this situation where people are telling me, you know what you got to do is this. And when you start making up your mind, I know what's going on. I know what should have happened. I know what they should have done. I know what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it now. What would it look like to say, what don't I know? To take that to God and to take that to some trusted friends. And where might God be in this crazy situation that God didn't bring on you, but that God longs to say, I can come in and do something here with you in this. I really can. What would it be like to to ask that question, God, where are you in this mess? And to wait long enough to hear for the answer. To push away all the cliches that your friends might bring at you. Well, God's in control. Really? Okay. That's helpful. (laughs) Where might God be in this on a very personal level? Well, remember, when the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph, he, he starts with a very interesting thing by calling him his name. Remember that? Joseph, son of David, the greatest king that Israel has ever known is who you come from. And Joseph, you know what's going to come from you is the greatest king the world will ever know. Joseph, remember who you are and what place you have in the greater story of God. Joseph, I'm begging you to see something more here. The name Joseph, in Hebrew scriptures, names really have a huge impact on the story. The name Joseph means Yahweh adds. Yahweh is the name for God. Yahweh adds. It also means even more. So into this story where Joseph sees limited options, stay and suffer or bail and be free, his very name reminds him that into these situations, where you feel like you have limited options and you fall prey to binary thinking this or that, Yahweh comes and adds. There's something bigger going on here, Joseph. And I'm going to ask you to consider seeing the even more. 
in your situation, would you be willing to take the courageous, crazy step of wondering what even more God might be working in your mess right now? I'm not saying that. That's one of the hardest things you will do. Would you consider that God is up to even more than you can see? Now, there was another Joseph in the Hebrew Scriptures. Perhaps you remember him. It's found in the later stages of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. Uh, a musical was written about this Joseph. Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, starring Donny Osmond. Anyone seen that? Well, uh, actually, there was an actual Joseph that actually lived... And again, in the book of Genesis, uh, you've heard of Abraham. He is the father of the children of Israel, and then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and his son was named, one of his sons was named Joseph. And because maybe not all of us are familiar with the story, I want to take 45 seconds to update you on the story. So here we go. Uh, I'm going to, here we go. So Joseph's Israel's favorite son and all of his brothers hate him. So they decide to leave him for dead, but they feel bad about leaving him from dead. So they sell him instead. Awesome. To some random merchants who in turn sell him to some Egyptians. And he ends up working for a powerful Egyptian named Potiphar and things start looking up for Joseph until he gets falsely accused for sexually harassing Potiphar's wife. And he languishes in prison for a long, long time. But then he's released because he can interpret Pharaoh's dream of seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine, and Pharaoh places him in charge of everything because Joseph comes up with a plan to store extra food during the years of plenty to use during the years of famine. But it turns out that some of the very people that he has the opportunity to save or not save during the famine are the very brothers who have left him for dead. So it's payback time, right? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yes! This is the situation that we all dream of. The tables have been turned. I was the guy who you left for dead. I was the guy who you left in the bottom of a dark pit for dead. I was the guy who languished in prison for years for a crime I didn't commit, and it's all because uh, you guys hated me and left me for dead. So now here I am in a position of power. I'm the, I'm the second most wealthy person in the most wealthy nation in the world right now, and I have it in my hands to save you or send you packing. This is that imaginary conversation we have in our mind with the person with whom we're fighting. Aren't those conversations incredibly helpful? Because we can get all that we want out. I mean, just, yeah! And they get to say what we want them to say, so it's a perfect setup. Well, really, Joseph had a really long life of disappointment and pain. And you can imagine in those years of languishing in prison when he was left for dead. Uh, and some of you have been in prison and you know what it feels like to be languishing. But even if you haven't been in prison, you've been in a dark pit where you can't see the way out and you feel like you're left for dead. And in your mind, you start plotting revenge 
question, what does it mean to see the even more that God is doing even when you're in the bottom of a dark pit? What does it mean to see the even more that God is doing even when you're in the bottom of a dark pit and you feel like God is absent and you feel like God has abandoned you? What does that mean? Well, when you start asking the question, what is God doing in this? First of all, you start asking the question, did God cause this evil in my life? And here's the deal. God doesn't cause evil. What God does do throughout the course of human history, all throughout the scriptures, is enter into evil situations and say, I can do something with this. I can make something out of this mess. Now, we get a hint of this in the beginning of this story of Joseph, that you, if you would read it, you just, you'd blow right over it. But it's a huge picture into what Joseph's, into Joseph's destiny. In Genesis 37, verses 13 and 14, before he's left for dead by his brothers, in Israel, who's also called Jacob, said to his son Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Yon, come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. Yes, father. So he said to him, I want you to go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. Now, the phrase all is well is a Hebrew word shalom. And it means he's saying, I want you to see to the shalom of your brothers. Now, we have heard the word shalom translated as Peace, right? And it is peace. It means peace. But when we hear peace, we think lack of conflict, lack of crisis, tranquility, right? The word shalom carries a much richer and much deeper meaning. It means the, the sense of completeness, the sense of perfection, or even better, the sense of wholeness. That that which has been discarded or splintered or fractured will be brought back together and redeemed and made whole. That's the notion of shalom. And so when Jacob slash Israel sends Joseph out to see to the shalom of his brothers, remember, these are the children of Israel, the children of Israel, literally. This is the future of the children of Israel. And they're splintered by hatred of their brother. And they're splintered by factions with each other. And so when, Joseph, when Jacob tells Joseph, I want you to see to the shalom of your brothers, it's, he's spelling out the destiny of his whole life. And Joseph has no idea. He just says, what does he say? Very well, Dad. I will go. And he spends the rest of his life in prison and languishing in a deep, dark pit until he gets to this moment as the second most powerful person in the most powerful and wealthy nation in the world at that point. And he has the power to look his brothers in the eye and save them. And they don't even recognize who he is. So he could easily just exact vengeance. Here's what Joseph says in Genesis 50, verses 20 and 21. But Joseph said to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I may be the second most powerful person in the most wealthy nation on the world, but there is a person that's more powerful than I that I submit to. So you intended to harm me, and I like how he names reality there. You did do it, guys. I'm not letting you off the hook. You set something in motion that caused great pain for me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many 
lives. The bigger picture, the thing that Joseph could not see when he was languishing in prison, that his experiences were all being put together so that the shalom of the world could happen. Yes. And Joseph, honestly and authentically, through pain and sorrow and anguish, said yes to his place in the story. And it was dark much of his life. So question, into your situation, in the deep, dark pit, Would you be willing to take the courageous step of asking God what you can't see, what you don't know, and where might God be in this? And when you have the courage to do that, after some time, God will begin to lead you. And here's the deal. When you can begin to see the even more that God is doing, then God invites you to do something so that the plans that God has conceived can be born in the world. You're invited to do something. You're invited to move. You're invited to put your hand towards something. You're invited to do the risky thing. Now, for Joseph, that meant deciding not to exact vengeance. For Joseph, that meant deciding to move toward his brothers and give them the food that they needed so that they can be saved. For you and I, it starts much smaller than that usually. The working of God's shalom, God's dream for shalom in the world, starts very, very small. On Friday morning, I, was, I just picked up some groceries at Trader Joe's, and I was on my way home about to turn right, but I couldn't turn right because there was all this cars... Uh, making a left and coming toward me. And while I was waiting uh, to turn right, all of a sudden, right behind me was just, you know, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I noticed there's someone behind me just leaning on the horn. And my first response, you know, because you can't talk to those people, probably a good thing, (laughs) was just to, you know, look at the cars, you know, just do one of these things. (laughs) The most violent action I could do. And then if if you're the person who's honking, the only course of action you have is to do the same action even bigger. You know, which (laughs) makes no sense, but that's what they did. Just because you do that, I'm going to do that. Which is actually a picture of the cycle of violence in our world. That's a different sermon altogether. Um... But I I just remember these feelings of just like, what an idiot. I mean, come on. I just remember just feeling incensed, just angry. So finally I took the right, and then in, in, in a moment of grace, it was like God just said, now, let's review. <laughs> what if instead of getting so angry, you had a response of compassion that said, That poor person is probably 
absolutely dying of stress. And how much would it have taken of you just to pray a blessing over them in your mind? Versus, yeah, <laughs> right? Now, I think in the moment, many times we fail. The grace is God comes after the moment and gives us a little prompting and says, let's review. <laughs> Next time. And this is how it is, you guys. Because here's what I believe, is that we need people to do large things, but small things done by lots of people create huge change in the world. Amen? Uh, making space, this campaign you guys have been doing, the goal was like 25 grand so that people wouldn't have to sleep on the streets during, during winter. And we had this huge building, you know, like, duh, right? We have some space probably. We just need to... And then you guys said, yeah, I, I can go without maybe a Christmas present or two or a meal or two, and I can give. And I'm guessing most of you all, you know, probably felt like, oh, this... This check is, or this bill is tiny. I mean, it's just this little thing. And then $100,000 later, Shalom is coming to St. Paul. Well, um, this is like Greg. I listened to his talk last week, Letting Go. Great talk. And he, he, he talks about this idea of uh, understanding your relationship with God like a dance. That you're just, it's a partnership and you're dancing together. And this is, this is what happens when you step on someone's toe. Whoa, whoa, just do the course correction. Let's do something small. Let's move together so that shalom can come. And that's what it is. Just you and God moving together. Well, back to the story of Joseph and Mary that we started out with. Joseph means even more. Here's what Joseph did when he began to conceive of that which God was conceiving they would be born in the world, Matthew 1, 24 and 25, when Joseph woke up from this crazy dream, which is awesome and probably a little awkward, uh, he went to the bathroom and then, did what the <laughs> and then did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he, Joseph, gave that baby the name Joseph. Jesus. And what I picture is this burly carpenter holding this little newborn baby with the googly eyes and, and just the, the, the head, you know, that smells so awesome. And Joseph looking down and placing his hand on this little baby's head, the Son of God, and saying, your name is Jesus, which means God saves. <laughs> I almost missed it. You just imagine Joseph saying, I almost missed this. Oh, God, thank you for helping me see more. Thank you for helping me know what I didn't know. Thank you for showing me where you were in this when all I saw was limited options. Oh, God, thank you that I could be a part of this moment in history. And I imagine in, in my mind, this is just an imagination, but... When Jesus came down, word become flesh, the Father asked the Son, Son, I want you to see to the shalom of my children. So Jesus goes. Word become flesh. He experiences the pain of a human. 
And he's sitting in the, the, the garden on the night that he is betrayed. And he is picturing the death that he's about to undergo. But you see, in that moment, Jesus does see the even more. And he knows what he's about to move into. And so it allows him to say, not my will, Father, but yours be done in my life, even if it means pain. So here we are, the body of Christ. The picture that is interesting for me to think about is that we're all broken fragments. All of us are broken and fractured and scarred. But what Jesus does is he gathers us all together in a kind of mosaic and we fit together different shapes and sizes and colors and Jesus himself is the grout that holds us all together. And the picture of us together, different colors, shapes, sizes, is the picture of the shalom that God longs to bring people submitted to seeing the even more, committed to pressing the pause button and saying, God, I am open to your leading in my life. The name Jesus is what God intended for the saving of many lives. All of us are included in that. What God intended for the saving of many lives. And when Jesus went to that cross, Satan and all the forces of evil thought that they were winning their greatest victory. But our God, the one who is the author of even more, swoops in in the last moment and says, well, I got a little news for you. Your greatest victory, you think, will indeed be your worst defeat because my son went to the cross but the cross couldn't hold him there he died but death couldn't hold him there he went to the pit but the pit couldn't hold him there and now he stands and because of the resurrection of Jesus a new kingdom has been inaugurated and it started that moment that he was resurrected and you and I participate in it right here and right now. It started then. Eternity started then. And the kingdom ripples out small action by small action when people decide to consider the even more. So question, last question. What does it mean for you to begin to see the even more that God is doing in your life right here, right now? What I'd like to do is close by leading you through a very short time of praying that God would show up and give you the word that you need. A guy came up to me after the last service that we're in. He said, Steve, the word I got was wait because I was heading to the divorce courts this week. I was, I was going. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me, just wait. So the Holy Spirit is active and alive and wants to speak to you. So let's pray that the Holy Spirit would show up. Pray with me. So God, we know you're here. We're asking you for your manifest presence. Holy Spirit, come. Open our ears up, open our hearts up. 
You might want to put your palms up in a gesture of submission to hearing from God right now. And Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, speak the word that we all need to hear individually and personally into our situation. Some of you may need to hear the word peace, the peace that passes all understanding can be given to you in this moment. Though no thing is resolved, though the pain is still there, God wants to give you a peace that passes understanding. Some of you might need to hear the word stop. You've gone too far. But it's not too late, but right now, you need to make the decision to stop. Some of you may need to just hang on to the picture of the mosaic, broken, fragmented pieces, forming one whole together, and the picture is you are not alone. You're in the deep, dark pit right now, but you are not alone. Out of the depths, I cried to you, O Lord, hear my cry. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Come, Holy Spirit. And minister to us your body, broken and desperate. God, thank you for making all things new. (laughs) Amen. I would like to invite you to stand. I have a benediction for you. So please stand and take a big, deep breath in, would you? Big, deep breath out. After the benediction, uh, some of you may need to come forward for prayer. So I want to let you know that our prayer ministers are available for you to be prayed for. So please come with any need. And let me pray this prayer benediction over you. And the benediction, what a benediction is, is this is something God does for you. This is not something you do for God. Okay, so here it is. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. Amen? Amen. May the peace of God go with you all. Great to be with you. Thanks, you guys.